You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Children who are picky eaters can be a challenge and a source of frustration for conscientious parents. And when food selectivity is so limited that it impacts growth, development, and family harmony, parents often turn to healthcare professionals for reassurance and counsel. Though picky eating is usually outgrown as a normal part of childhood development, new research indicates that for some individuals, physiology may play a part. And picky eating is not always limited to childhood. Growing numbers of adults are seeking help for their own picky eating. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, is Dr. Bradley Riemann, Director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital. Dr. Riemann is a Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychology at the Chicago Medical School, Marquette University, and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He is the founder of the Anxiety Disorders Foundation, a charitable organization dedicated to improving the lives of those affected by anxiety disorders. Welcome, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. Dr. Riemann, you have been quoted as saying that your OCD center has recently seen an increase in the number of patients seeking treatment for food selectivity issues. Yeah, it's really been a fascinating couple of years. This problem seems to be far more prevalent than we ever thought. These individuals are just really coming forward more and and seeking treatment. How would you define a picky eater? Well, obviously, you've got the whole spectrum. I mean, there are some individuals who will eat just about anything. It would be very low on that scale, obviously. And then you have some people who, you know, there are certain things that they won't eat and certain things they prefer and so on. And and so, you know, within a normal range, it kind of goes from high to low. But the the people, of course, that present to us their picky eating, so to speak, has gone to the point where it has begun to interfere with their lives. It it has interfered with them socially or occupationally. For example, uh, an individual will say things like, hey, I commonly have to take clients to lunch and there's nothing on the menu that I'll eat, and it's starting to affect my ability to market our services, or I can't go over to a friend's house for dinner because, you know, I'm so embarrassed that I can't eat anything that they've worked hard to prepare. So sometimes you'll see this get to the point where it begins to affect them in some way in their lives, and then also, and and sometimes quite severely, it can affect their their medical stability. Uh, So these individuals will become so restricted in what they're eating that they'll become malnourished and really uh, can develop some significant medical complications. So it's sort of a subjective assessment if it's just troubling to them, but it also could involve nutrition and and health. Absolutely. Because there's not an instrument telling you what foods need to be included or even that, you know, part of the food pyramid needs to be included or something. When do you decide that something is perhaps diagnosable or at least clinically significant? Once picky eating gets to the point of of interfering in someone's life. So for example, if someone says, look, I don't like mayonnaise, you know, you can get through life without a problem not eating mayonnaise. There's just going to be certain things you're not going to eat, but there's going to be plenty of other options. But when someone starts to restrict multiple, multiple foods, when they begin to restrict multiple, multiple food categories, it becomes more and more of an issue. And once it starts to impact them physically, or once it begins to impact their lives in terms of of the the major areas of functioning, such as school, work, or home, or social, that's when you'd say they've got a problem that warrants treatment. And we're sort of talking about adults. When this regards children, people are understanding of phases that kids go through where they'll only eat certain foods, but it's expected to pass. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, every every parent can relate to, uh, you know, having difficulty getting Johnny to eat his beans or whatever it might be. But this is, of course, again, a situation that goes well beyond this. When does the parent 
become concerned and the physician need to be become involved. That's that's a little bit different than I would think what you're looking for in adults who where it's interfering with their life. With a child, is this strictly when it becomes a physical issue? Not necessarily, Dr. Margold, and I think it, it interferes with their lives, but just differently. I mean, in other words, it still may interfere with their ability to go to birthday parties and these kinds of things that they're getting invited to. Um, of course, they're not going to probably be able to eat hot lunch. Family's probably going to be able to get them, you know, something that they could take in a cold lunch, so to speak, but they may get teasing because they keep eating the same thing over and over again or because it may be an odd kind of choice. And of course, it, it can create a tremendous amount of family discord around meals. Johnny won't eat this. Mom has had to prepare four different things to try to get him to eat something. And so it interferes with their lives, but just in different ways. What are the possible causes of picky eating in children? Well, you know, the, the kids that we see for treatment, you know, it really can be a, a variety of things that seem to, to, to cause this phenomenon of restricted eating or, or picky eating. You know, of course, there there are some individuals who may have an eating disorder. So they may be restricting their food intake based on calories, fat grams, and these kinds of things for the fear of gaining weight. They would, of course, be diagnosed as having an eating disorder. However, there's also a, a very large percentage of these patients who do not have an eating disorder. They have what I would call disordered eating. In other words, they're restricting their diet. They're picking and choosing their foods based on other kinds of criterion. It has nothing to do with fat and calories and those kinds of things. In fact, they, the only thing they may eat are sweets and junk foods and those kinds of things. And in this case, it could, it, it could be a variety of reasons. For example, some of the young people and adults that we see with this kind of problem may have obsessive-compulsive disorder. And so their, their picky eating is in, is in response to, say, concerns about contamination. Who's touched my food? How is it processed? Are there germs in my food? I'll only eat certain foods touched by certain people prepared in certain ways. So that could be a, a, a what's behind it. Sometimes we'll see people who have developed a choking phobia. Perhaps they saw someone gag or choke, or perhaps they did themselves, and, it, and, and their eating just slowly has deteriorated to the point where maybe initially they wouldn't eat meat, but now it's gotten to the point over a course of two years where they'll only eat chicken broth. Even fine little noodles or something like that would be too frightening for them. We also get a fair share of, of kids that it seems to be more of a sensory issue. Textures of the foods could be sight, smell, taste, of course, but really any of the, the, the senses. And, and many times these kids who have trouble uh, kind of with this sensory issue of food, may, you may also see sensory issues in things unrelated to food, so tags on their shirts and their belt feeling just right and those kinds of things as well. So it can kind of generalize. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Brad Riemann, director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And we are discussing issues related to food selectivity and picky eating. Dr. Riemann, so it could be an anxiety-related issue. It could be the actual texture of the food itself or food preferences. What about emotional issues, power struggles with a parent, for example? Certainly, those kinds of things can play a role. I mean, what I would kind of classify as behavioral kinds of issues where, you know, you could argue that it's really not necessarily a need for a young child to eat a certain food and they can't eat others, but it's more of a, a situation where they like to kind of keep mom or dad hopping in the kitchen and and again, kind of a power issue, as you, as you described. When we have seen cases like that, it, it rarely has gotten to the point where it's interfering with their lives other than within their own family. 
it also rarely gets to the point where it becomes a medical concern. When it's strictly just a, well, I'll show you, I'm not going to eat that kind of thing, it's more of, a, of an overriding family dynamic problem, an overriding behavioral problem, power struggle, as you mentioned. But then, you know, when, when Johnny goes and, and eats somewhere else, of course, you don't see that happening, or, or, and, it, and it certainly isn't going to begin to affect their medical condition. But that can play a role in this, uh, certainly. So it presents differently, if that's the case. What should a physician's role be when presented with either a child or an adult who has picky eating? Well, it just depends on to what degree, you know, it has occurred. I mean, obviously, if it's just more of an issue where it's begun to interfere with someone's functioning, then they probably need to be, you know, considering referring to someone who specializes in this kind of care. Obviously, however, if it begins to affect someone's medical condition, then they're going to need to address that as well um, in terms of uh, perhaps, you know, some sort of um, supplements or, or refeeding that may need to be done, which, of course, can be very difficult because the individual may not be able to tolerate that. What are the treatments available for severe cases of food selectivity? Well, the, the treatments that we've applied and, and applied quite successfully really have kind of mimicked the treatments that you would use for anxiety disorders and, and specifically, uh, you know, things like obsessive compulsive disorder. So it's a very high exposure component we will develop a very, very specific, what we call food hierarchy. In other words, we will very thoroughly assess what the patient can eat, what they cannot eat, and we will begin to develop uh, specific exposure exercises uh, to try to slowly and repetitively get them reintroduced to food. So, for example, let's just say we have a a young person who will eat uh, yogurt and chicken broth uh, and, and these kinds of things. We then attempt to say, well, you know, what would be kind of just a a challenging but manageable step towards our ultimate goal, which would would be to eat more normally. So, uh, for example, we may say on a scale of 0 to 10, how anxious would you be if we asked you to eat yogurt that has fruit in it? And and the young person would probably say, well, it it would depend. Um, It would depend on what brand because brand A has smaller chunks of fruit in their yogurt and brand B has larger chunks, so that would be harder because I don't like the texture or because of choking or whatever it might be. And, and in this case, we say, okay, well, let's start with brand A with the smaller fruit. And they may say on a 0 to 10 scale that that would be something like a 4. And we say, well, how about brand B? Well, that would be a 6. What if we had you use plain yogurt and your mom chopped up fruit and put it in it? 10, you know. And the idea here is we would very, very thoroughly assess all of these different uh, domains, and we would generate dozens and dozens, perhaps even hundreds, of food exposures, and then we begin to sign them in a graduated fashion. So in a 0 to 10 scale, we might start somebody off with that 4 exercise where they we're going to ask them to begin to eat brand A in this example. And many times this has to be done within the confines of a session. So that kind of uh, pressure, so to speak, from the therapist goes a long way to getting Johnny to comply. So you're tagging foods with each other and exposing to different textures. Do you, do you ever give consideration to the actual flavors and tastes that perhaps there are individual differences in taste? There's been some literature on people called super tasters, that they actually have different tastes. Yes, clearly. Again, the idea, Dr. Margolin, would be whatever the, the reasoning behind the food avoidance is what's going to be targeted with the exposure. In my example, I was talking about someone, it might be texture or it might be because of choking kinds of things. But again, it may be because of contamination. And then a whole different line of questioning would be, you know, how anxious would you be if your mother prepared you a meal versus your brother and, you know, these kinds of things. Well, I think my brother's dirty or whatever it might be. In your specific example, 
certainly taste, you know, would also play a role. And, and so it may, again, be a brand A versus brand B, but it's not based on the size of the fruit chunks. It's all based on taste. Right. And who, who are these super tasters? Well, that, that's an interesting question. There, there seems to be some, some research here out uh, over the last few years where there are individuals who just seem to have these kind of hypersensitive taste buds. Some of them claim that of course, this, this condition has led them to restrict what they eat because they, they have, you know, kind of this very uh, finite gap in terms of what they find to be tasteful. On the other hand, obviously, uh, you could argue that a sommelier, for example, you know, may have this hypersensitive taste as well. And, of course, they've made a career out of it. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Bradley Riemann. This has been an interesting discussion about food selectivity and picky eating. Thank you, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.